into really very powerful and thoughtful words. I, I'd like the source of those from you afterwards, please. I do bring greetings from my home fellowship, St. Melon's Baptist Church on the outskirts of Cardiff, as we work together in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's always a thrill to, to come to Ladyfield. I remember the old days when it was a, well, an interesting building with a, an asbestos concave roof. And uh, what a thrill to see such a, a useful uh, building. And I, I trust, uh, and I know it is being used to the glory of God, but always a pleasure to come here and to see old faces getting older, <laughs> and to see uh, youngsters growing up as well. I think it's 18 months since I was last here. I think, Tom, you were about that big last time I came, and suddenly I recognised the face, but uh, it was up there suddenly. But uh, what a joy to be here with you, worshipping the Lord together. Um, the passage I had read then, Ephesians chapter 2, and the first 10 verses describe really the mess that we were in and uh, how it was that uh, God did uh, an extraordinary work to transform us into something really quite uh, magnificent. By way of introduction to the, the, the great theme there in Ephesians chapter 2, I wanted to summarise chapter 1 that really tells us what a Christian is in essential essence but really the last uh, day or so i've been so taken up with uh, the introduction that i'm not so sure how far we'll get this morning it could well be that what i had planned for this evening needs to be put to the side because we might spend uh, all the time that we have in the introduction which is really ephesians chapter one now if that happens uh, so be it. I don't mind. I hope you don't mind either. But it could well be that the thoughts I had in Ephesians chapter 1 were just for me and uh, not for you. And if that's the case, we're going to move rapidly through uh, what I had to say. So let's see. There is a clock there. So I'll see how the time is uh, progressing. So really, to set in sharp contrast with what we were, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us what we, what we are. And uh, what is a Christian? I wonder how you'd answer that question. Um, I know how people who aren't Christians might answer that question. Uh, they go through a list of um, things that we do. Uh, what's a Christian? It's somebody who, I mean, some might even think it was somebody who was born in, in Britain. Uh, if you ask somebody, are you a Christian? They might feel insulted. Not so much today, but go back 20 years or so, and people would have been quite insulted. What do you mean, am I a Christian? I was born in Britain and this is a Christian country, uh, therefore I am a Christian. And some people uh, have thought like that in the past. But maybe it's a matter of, well, uh, I go to church. A Christian is somebody who goes to church. And uh, a Christian is somebody who believes in God. A Christian is somebody who prays and, and reads the Bible. Well, although a Christian does do all those things, it's not what a Christian is. A Christian is being something before it's doing something. If we get it the wrong way around, it's just religion. Something that we do. But it's not what we are. Essentially, a Christian is somebody before he or she does anything at all. And Ephesians chapter 1 tells us astonishingly this, that a Christian is a child of God. Ephesians 1 and verse 5. Now, I've got the ESV here. Is this an NIV? 
Let's open the NIV as well, because that's what you're using, isn't it, in the, in the pews, and uh, I know the words change. And in the NIV, we used to use the NIV at uh, St. Melons until we couldn't get the 1984 version anymore, and uh, it was changing so rapidly, it was difficult to, to read, and people had different versions, so we moved to the ESV, which uh, is also a good version, but here... In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, we have this statement. This is what a Christian is. He, that's God, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. Adoption as sons, children of God. Now, Christianity then? Being a Christian, it's a matter of a relationship. It couldn't be clearer than that. A heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. We have earthly fathers. We've all had an earthly father. Maybe uh, they've passed on by, by now. Uh, but we all, all have a, a heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is relational. He's my Father I am his child. And it couldn't be plainer than that. Getting to the essence of what a Christian is. Somebody who has a living, uh, vibrant, real relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the universe, the God who's all-powerful and everywhere, no beginning, uh, no end, glorious, majestic, all-knowing, all-pervading, uh, the ultimate being who dwells in three persons, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three gods, no, one essential being, three distinct persons, blessed Trinity. The Christian is a child of God. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us a little bit more than that. What sort of a father-son relationship is this? Oh, we're told clearly this. It's not a natural relationship. Nobody is born a Christian. So it's quite wrong to say, well, I, I am, uh, I'm British and I've been born in a Christian country, therefore I am a Christian. No, the Bible knows nothing uh, of that. Uh, by natural birth, we are objects of wrath. That came out in the reading in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we don't have this father-son, father-child relationship with the being of all beings. By natural descent, we are objects of the wrath of God. No, it's not a natural relationship. It's a legal relationship. So back in verse 5 again, he, that's God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. I'm not a natural son of God. I am an adopted son of God. I want to say this morning that really is very exciting and very, very wonderful. A story I heard quite uh, some time ago about uh, a family. There's mum and dad and they had uh, a son, a natural son by natural birth. He was their natural son. And uh, then later on, they adopted another boy 
into the family, a very similar age to their natural son. And there are the two boys, one a natural son, one an adopted son. And in their early teens, I mean, uh, children can be quite unkind to each other. The, the boys got into an argument and uh, the natural son looked at the adopted son and really to, to, uh, to really dig the knife in, he said, and, uh, and uh, dad is my dad. He's not actually your dad at all, is he? And the adopted son very wonderfully uh, answered in this way. Well, dad had to have you, didn't he? But <laughs> he chose me. That's it's very profound. It's very wonderful. When we think about the being of God, who looks upon uh, this, this planet, and he sees all the mess, it's not that he doesn't know about it, it's not that he's not concerned about it, and he sees you and me in great detail, and then, by an act of his uh, wonderful love and mercy and grace, he chooses to do something legal, and actually adopt us into his family and I have to say that really is quite remarkable and I hope this is an encouraging message this morning there can be so many things to uh, to get us down in the doldrums uh, uh, the general course of, uh, of the world our own personal circumstances family situations medical situations difficulties at work difficulties in the home difficulties in society but we need to be encouraged to look up I, I am a child of God the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This is a, a relationship and something wrought by a, a legal declaration. I have been adopted and chosen to be his child. But how does it happen? How does it happen? Well, there's a key gospel word here in Ephesians chapter 1, and it is uh, redemption. And I, I noticed how often it came up in the in the hymns, redeemed, redemption, verse 7 in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read again from the, uh, the NIV. In him, this is the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption. Redemption. Oh, Wonderful story. Now, what a great word redemption is. How is it that legally uh, somebody who has rejected God, who's dead, who's sinful, who's gone his own way? I mean, we're all born shaking our fist at God. The, the first word a child uses is no, we're all so self-centered. Uh, how is it possible that I could be a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of all glory. How can it happen? Well, here's this word redemption. To bring me to be a child of God, in order for God to be able to legally adopt me into his family and the benefits that flow from that adoption are quite staggering and mind-blowing. They have implications now, but certainly uh, in eternity. What, what could be done? Redemption. Redemption. Now, in times of economic decline, uh, pawn shops make uh, uh, their appearances on, on high streets. And uh, if you are short of money, you can do something like maybe you could even take your, your wedding ring in. You could say, uh, 
what can I, what can I have uh, for that? And the pawn shop owner would uh, take his uh, special glass and he'd go, hmm. okay, yes. Actually, I don't know how many carrots this, this is, so, and I can't see, so. Um, but uh, that would uh, determine something, and let's, let's wait, and he'd say, right, okay, you can have a certain amount of money uh, for, for that, and he'd give me uh, the money, and he'd have the ring. Now, at some later date, I could come back, and I could, uh, I could redeem the ring. It wouldn't be for the amount I paid, it would be for something extra, because he's got to make his profit, that's his, his business. And so, um, and if I fail to redeem the ring in a certain amount of time, uh, that becomes his uh, ring. Redemption, being redeemed. Where do I belong? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we follow the, the prince of the power of the air. Because of sin, uh, we don't know God in a personal way. We, we might know about him, and we do know about him. You go to church, you can learn about God. Go to Sunday school, you can learn about God. Read a book, you can learn about God, but you don't know him. Why? Sin is the problem. God is holy, he's pure, he's clean, he's beautiful. We know nothing like it. How good do I have to be to know God by right? Well, you need a life that is perfect and pure and clean. And I look at me and I think, well, I'm not so bad. Well, what's the problem? Well, I'm comparing myself to you. And here's our difficulty. We try and compare ourselves to each other. It's all that we know. It's all that we know. Because sin has cut us off from the one true, good, glorious being God. And so all we know is each other. And we can satisfy each other, okay, but, uh, but God, how good do I have to be to know God? Perfect. And none of us can reach that standard. But God wants us to know him. Here's, here's the gospel, see, here's the heart of what it's all about. How do I become a child of God? God, God intervenes and comes into the mess of, of sin, the mess of my heart. And he sees the need. I need a clean heart. I need a pure heart. There's a, a great Welsh hymn, uh, Calon Lan. That means a pure heart, clean heart. I need a clean heart. I need a happy heart. I need a joyful heart. And I haven't got one. God has got a happy heart. He's got a clean heart. He's got a pure heart. He's got a joyful heart. So... God does something to buy me back. I belong to the devil and I belong to hell. I'm fast bound in sin and nature's night. God, God does something. He's going to pay a price. It'll be the redemption price. Now, how much does it cost to uh, purchase one human soul? What would you give? What would you give? Well, Bill Gates hasn't got enough. Mark Zuckerberg hasn't got enough. Now, he was in a few idle moments this morning. I thought, I wonder how much Mark Zuckerberg is worth. Do, do you know what? It, it becomes silly money. So, um, I can tell you roughly what I'm, what I'm worth. I could, I could uh, almost paid off the mortgage. That's an asset. I've got a pension plan. I, I, can, you know, I can roughly work it out. I mean, what about Mark Zuckerberg? So, here it is. $49 billion dollars. That used to be less pounds than it is now. It's now it's a lot more pounds than it was because the dollar strengthened against the pound. So it's around about 38 
billion pounds. That's a lot of money. Now look at Bill Gates. Now he's given a lot away recently, but he's still worth 89 billion dollars. These are crazy amounts. Now, is that enough to buy a soul back from the devil? So here's, here's the devil. He, he holds his goods with power, and by right, sin gives him a claim on you and me. And he will drag us down to hell with him. Now, you know, hell was prepared not for you and me. The Bible's very clear on that. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the, that's, that's the statement from God. I prepared this for the devil and his angels. There's no way back for them, but there's a way back for you and me. Christ didn't come into the world to redeem devils. He came to redeem people like you and me. What's the price well, Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it's not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed. The whole earth wouldn't be enough. A universe wouldn't be enough. It took the precious blood of the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's God who became a man. He's not God the Father. He's not God the Son. He's of the same substance, but he's distinct in his person. He's God the Son. He's been with the Father and the Spirit forever and forever and will be with them forever and forever. One being, three persons. God the Father sends God the Son. Why? To redeem, to buy back. And he comes from heaven, he becomes a little baby who becomes a child, he becomes a teenager, becomes a young man and lives to be 33. And uh, he goes around doing good. Now, what, what's he doing? Did he bring money from heaven to pay to the devil? No, he came himself to deal with the devil. God demands a perfect life if we're to get to heaven. We haven't got one. So Jesus Christ becomes a man. See, he didn't become an angel or a devil. He becomes a man. He takes on our flesh and blood. To redeem fallen angels, he'd have to have become an angel. He didn't do that. He became a man. So he can now represent mankind. He is a man. And he lives a perfect life for us. And uh, then at the age of 33, he allows himself, he who could calm a storm and raise the dead. Now, of course, no one took his life from him. He could have stopped it. He talks about, I, could have call, I can call on 12 legions of angels. He doesn't need to do that. With a thought, the soldiers are obliterated. Actually, when they came to arrest him, he simply said, I am. They all fell back. The power of that word, I am. And he allows himself to be arrested and beaten and lashed and nailed to a cross. Why? Why? Well, C.S. Lewis, I suppose, saw it so very clearly as he writes the, uh, the Narnia Chronicles, and when, uh, when Aslan allows the wicked witch to lay him on the stone and kill him, the wicked witch thinks she's won. But then to the children's delight, Aslan comes back. Aslan, Aslan, we thought you were dead. We thought the witch had won. We thought with her magic she'd won. Ah, says Aslan, there's a deeper magic than the witch ever knew about. And on Calvary, the devil thinks he's won. Dead, gone, son of God, gone. Finished, done with him. But there's a deeper magic, a deeper truth, a deeper glory. He's giving his life as a ransom. Same root word, redemption, ransom. On Calvary, there's the redemption price being paid. It wasn't with silver or gold. 
but with the precious blood of Christ that we are redeemed. We are brought back. So he lives the perfect life we cannot live. He dies the death that we deserve and the devil of hell is thwarted because if we simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can use words like believe. We can use this wonderful word, trust. Some say accept him, receive him. Okay, but embrace him. Recognize I'm the sinner who deserves hell, who will receive hell. I'm an object of wrath by nature. But legally then by adoption, when I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes my sin, I get his good life. And that covers me. And I can say, I am redeemed. Oh, praise the Lord. Redeemed forevermore. Redemption price. So here I am this morning. I, I'm a child of God, not by natural descent, but by adoption. Something legal has happened. And wonderfully, God looked at me and he, he chose me. How does it happen? On the basis of what his son has done. Uh, God can't just wink at sin and forget sin. He forgives it in Christ and sin is dealt with and sin is covered and sin is finished with. But then there's something else here about what a Christian is in Ephesians chapter 1 and it's verse 11 here. In him, that's in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And in the ESV, we've got more of the sense of it here. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. There's a, a great, great truth here emphasized throughout the Bible being children of God we are also heirs of God listen to uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 17 if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Children, therefore heirs. Now, uh, my mother's still alive and she lives with us in uh, our old farmhouse on the outskirts of Cardiff, uh, St. Melons. And uh, I know that when she dies, I'm going to inherit. That's just a, a legal fact. Uh, I've, I've seen the will and myself and my sister, we're going to, uh, to share the vast Christophides fortune. But I'm not getting very e excited about about all, uh, about all that. We, 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 I, I love my mother and, and, and there she is, but it's a fact. When, when she dies, I'm going to inherit. I don't know who your father is. I don't know what prospects uh, you might have. But when the father dies, the children then uh, inherit. Thinking about this, uh, this man, Mark Zuckerberg, well, he has children now and they have quite a prospect uh, ahead of them. Uh, $49 billion. Uh, the, the Gates children, $81 uh, billion. Uh, tremendous fortunes of money, heirs here on earth. But far beyond that, far beyond that, let's look up, let's think. 
There's nothing carnal about this. He is, he is the reality. And the Bible holds this before us. And going through difficulties and trials and tribulations. And whatever we go through here on planet Earth, it is for a short time. Such that Paul says our, our light and momentary afflictions. Now, here's a man who went through suffering. He, he doesn't say that lightly. But when he, he thinks about the, uh, the three times I was stoned and left for dead, I received the Roman uh, lashing. I've been in danger in the country at sea and on land. And uh, the cares of all the churches well, are light and momentary afflictions are not worth comparing with the eternal weight of glory. What, what is that? Well, I'm an heir. Because I'm a child, I'm an heir. And I'm a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the son of the living God. Now, what, what, do, I, what do I inherit? What is my uh, inheritance? Well, it's glorious and it, it's, it's vast now. Spiritually, it is God himself. And it begins here on planet earth and Christianity is not pie in the sky when you die it is that but it's more than that it's also have it on your plate while you wait it's it's here and now so uh, oh happy day that fixed my choice 4th of August 1976 Brisbane Australia uh, church service and appeal at the end I want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior come down the front they sang amazing grace during the last verse uh, I, I went down uh, the front and I, I, I prayed a, a prayer there now it wasn't going down the front it wasn't praying the prayer I, I was saved right where I was sitting uh, suddenly something became very very clear to me and by God's grace we, we're going to look at that uh, tonight and, and Wesley writes about it thine eye diffused a quickening ray I walked the dungeon flamed with with light oh I remember it very very well that particular day when I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of, of glory. He lived for me, he died for me, he rose again. And at that point, I have it on my plate while I wait. Uh, I knew the joy of sins forgiven, peace with God. It wasn't, I, I hope I'm going to heaven. It was, I knew I was going to heaven. Why? Because it didn't depend on me anymore. It was a finished, done deal. I'd been legally adopted. It's written there. And I could read it in the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and there's a jolly good chance you might well be saved. It doesn't say that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you shall be saved. You will call his name Jesus because he will make every effort to save his people from their sin. Oh, he doesn't say that. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Of course, he, who is he? He's not a mere man. He's also the Lord of glory. He's mighty and strong to save. And that death on Calvary is effective. And that matchless life he lived is accepted by the Father. And all I need to do is trust in him. And I have it on my plate while I wait. And I become a Christian. I'm a child who got legally adopted through that redemption work that's finished. I stand on redemption ground. Are you going to heaven when you die? Well, I, I hope so. What's your hope built on? Well, I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've been to church. Hopeless. Hopeless. You're still an object of wrath. Do you, do you, 
Are you still saying this morning that you hope you're going to heaven? Why have a vague hope? The Bible speaks about a sure hope. And it's built on Jesus Christ. So I can say with the hymn writer, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood on Calvary and righteousness, the 33 years that he lived. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, me, church going, Bible reading, baptism, prayers, all things that Christians do, but they'll never get you to heaven. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean. There's another faith word, lean, leaning. How far can you lean before you fall over? Well, you lean all the way with the Lord. He'll never let you fall. He's always there to hold, to catch. He's powerful uh, to save. Now it begins here and now. Have you done that? Have you trusted, embraced, believed in, received the finished work of Jesus Christ? This is all Ephesians chapter 1. It's glorious. But we're on this area of being heirs now. Have it on your plate while you wait, but heaven. Or Job, in the midst of his trials and tribulations. I don't know what you've been through in life, but uh, he was the, the richest man in the East in his day. He had ten children. In the space of five minutes, of course, we know he lost all his possessions. And he lost all his children. His wife was still there but she proved to be useless she was a good time wife and when he lost everything and then of course he loses health as well he's covered in sores and boils and his pus oozing out the dogs came to lick the pus from the sores and his wife why don't you just curse God and die yeah I despise you well there's a good wife eh? there's a good wife she enjoyed all the good times but uh, no he lost everything then his th three friends come along and they're no more than useless. And in Job chapter 19, this is a Christian. The difficulties, all the difficulties are there and he really feels the pain. Oh, he said, I'll tell you how I feel. If I had a piece of granite and an iron pen, I'd etch into it how I feel. I feel awful. But... I know that my Redeemer liveth. There it is again, redemption. And this is written maybe 2,000 years before Christ came. And Christ is penetrating the Old Testament as well. And the first gospel declaration was in Genesis 3 and verse 15. The seed of the woman will come and crush Satan's head. And Job hangs up. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I, after this flesh has failed... I will see God. With my own eyes I will see him. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. The very last book of the Bible. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. You know, this is going to come. This, this, this light and momentary life. And a few more circuits around the sun and we're gone. From this world, well, like a vapour, like a story that's told. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things will have passed away. Oh, it is pie in the sky when we die, but it's have it on your plate while you wait. And when we get there and the, dwell and the veil is gone, I mean, where is God right now? Well, he's here. He's everywhere. And by his spirit, he dwells in my very heart. But for most of the time, I'm not aware. I'm not consciously aware, but I know it by faith. And he holds me. Then occasionally, his spirit witnesses with my spirit. You know, sometimes I wake up, even as a Christian minister, in the morning, and I think, is it all true? Have I been deceiving myself for 40 years and three months? Then I come downstairs, have a cup of coffee, and fills my heart again and the spirit witnesses with my spirit I am a child of, of God and that life but when I get to heaven the veil's gone and what, quite what it means that he dwells with us and we're with him well, of course we know of Adam and Eve and before the fall the Lord came down and walked with Adam in the cool of of the evening and of course Adam believed in God and there was no thought of uh, it was evolution or whatever but uh, there it is God what a spiritual bliss but I want to finish on this it's not wrong to acknowledge there will be a physical reality to the glory of heaven and we are joint heirs with Christ and we are heirs of the Father now heirs to what Heirs to God himself, but also heirs to all that God has. Now, what has God got? I tell you, he's got a lot. And in Genesis, we learned about creation. And uh, David was astounded 3,000 years ago when I consider the heavens. But he didn't have a telescope, did he? And I've got one at home now. We bought it, uh, my youngest boy and, and, and myself, and we, we get it out and, and we look and uh, we, we can look at the Andromeda galaxy and all that David would have known was it was a little smudge below the uh, Andromeda constellation and uh, you can put your little finger over it. You can't see it really directly. You've got to look slightly off. It's got to be completely dark because there's got to be no moon, little smudge. But that, that is a galaxy, our, our nearest spiral galaxy, six Billion, six million light years away, containing a thousand million stars. And there, there it is. And uh, there are 100,000 million other galaxies in the known universe, each containing about 200,000 million stars. Now, I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. It's not wrong to think about the physical reality of these things now if there are 10 billion people who get to heaven I don't know how many will get to heaven right 7 billion people living on planet earth at the moment maybe 7 billion people have lived and breathed on this planet I believe that all children go to heaven those before any age of responsibility I believe that miscarried children go to heaven straight from the womb to glory it is a, a comfort to, to know that. It's a tragedy when it happens. My last funeral was of uh, a 25-week-old 
uh, premature child. But the truth of the gospel is that child's going straight to glory. Where, where are you going? Where am I going? Let's, let's imagine 10 billion people make it to, to heaven. Now, if there are 100,000 million galaxies, you know, that's 10 galaxies each. Each containing 100,000 million stars, each with planetary systems. That's, that's quite a way to spend eternity. Why is eternity so long? Because we've got a lot to do. And if I get 10 galaxies, say I get Andromeda with 1,000, uh, 1,000 million. Yeah, I, I, knocked, I, I knocked off a few stars when I last quoted how big Andromeda is. But if, how long will it take you to explore that? Then you've got nine others to have a look around. It is little wonder that Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What's that? What's the world? It's a tiny planet going round one star in a galaxy called the Milky Way of 200,000 million other stars and you give your soul for the earth if you could have the whole earth and the devil will offer it to you if he thinks he can get you for that he's got you cheap because you've given up 10 galaxies and God what a stupid deal you've struck with the devil but how low will we go? Well, Judas went for 30 pieces of silver and got him hook, line and sinker. But of course he'd been tapping off from the money bag and he got a holiday home near Lat, I'm sure, uh, already. And he's uh, just been spending money when he, when he gets... What, what a deal! Well, we are heirs of God the Father, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's something of what a Christian is. My friend, if it hasn't happened to you this morning, why not this morning? Why not now? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Trust in him. Embrace. It's all been finished. He's died for you. He lived for you. He rose again to show it's all true. This morning, now I've preached the gospel. We're going to have a visual display of the gospel. We're going to take the bread, his body, the blood, the wine, his blood that was shed for us. Oh, may God waken us up to flee from the wrath to come and to flee to Jesus Christ, the only hope for sinners. Let's, let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this all too brief time this morning in your word, thinking about what it is to be a Christian. Oh, bless your name that you ever made it possible for us and opened up the gates of heaven. You beckoned us in. You sealed over the gates of hell. You desire that none should perish or may some come to the Saviour even here this morning, to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude this part of the service with um, a hymn. and It's number 33, if you're using the, the hymn books, but the words will appear on the screen behind me. And then we're going to go into the...